I hope you have 1 Corinthians 9 and 10 in front of you, what Meg just read from. Hebrews 12 is our cross-reference passage. The sermon outlines on page 4 of the booklet. Let's pray. Our God and Father, you are faithful and we often fall. We fall into temptation Fruit of the Spirit, that is, self-control in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name, and for our sake and for your glory. Amen. Well, here we are, last but not least. Last but not least. We're the last of the Fruit of the Spirit series. Nine weeks we've been in this series, nine aspects of that fruit. And here we are at self-control. I think self-control is like vegetables. So look, we know vegetables are good for us, don't we? We know it's been taught to us and we kind of have an idea that we need them. We need vegetables. And you've got to feel a bit for veggies, It took a whole cartoon series for them to get some spotlight and recognition for the good that they do. You've got to feel for veggies, for no matter how they're marketed, be that veggie tails or whatever it is, vegetables have a perception problem. Vegetables, they've got a perception problem. I like veggies, Um, us grown-ups tend to like them, but even grown-ups, I don't know anyone who's even a grown-up says after their main meal, you know what, let's have some vegetable salad and ice cream. Like, no one thinks that. We, no, 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 fruit, that's the place of fruit. That's the cream on the top. Fruit is more appealing. And then there's the fruit of fruits. Um, I was thinking about the most appealing fruits and the least appealing fruits, and I did some Googling, and there is the ugliest, worst-smelling, tasting fruit in the world that people say, um, and I actually can't remember its name. And, uh, but uh, it, there's a fruit out there that no one likes, but I'm actually, I'm more concerned with your fruit bowl. Think on, what is the fruit that stays in our fruit bowl? Not the exotic one that you're never going to have there, but even the fruit that you would put there, which is the one that's last? Which is the one that's least appealing? In our household, it tends to be, you know, like blackberries go first. We don't put them in the fruit bowl, but in terms of fruit, like blackberries are the lollies of the fruit world, right? They're the lollies you give to kids when you don't want to give them lollies, you give them the little, anything that's dark and round and small, there you go, have that, please be calm. That's, that's kind of, that kind of fruit. Bananas, like who doesn't love bananas? They easily go in our household, like they're great, they're the kind of healthy carbs, aren't they? Bananas, they're good for you, all that sort of stuff. Um, but the one that stays in our fruit bowl, I've noticed, is oranges. Why? It's the harder to open. Just, ah, oh, it takes effort and, you know, I've got to get a parent or if it's me, I've got to get Amy uh, to help me open the orange. And then there is one after that, though, that is always left. You know, we buy it because we think we'll use it and we'll need it, but it's just there, sitting there on its lonely self, reminding you to do the shopping. And that is the lemon. Lemon. 
They're left because they're just the least appealing of all the fruits. Yes, some people might eat lemon raw, just how it is, that might be their thing, but that's for those elite people over there, those elite fruit eaters. Friends, I think self-control is just like lemons. Of all the fruits, it's the last one left, it's last but not least. If you were to ask someone before our series, list the fruit of the Spirit, I'm sure we can get to love and joy and peace, and there's some others as well, but we don't get to lemons, and lemons is like self-control. It's last, but can I just say, it's not least. And we're in the perfect season for producing it. The fruit of self-control. It's the last bit of the bunch, but we need it so much. Yes, we love love. Yes, who doesn't want some more joy in their life? And wouldn't you like some peace? And Lord, help me with patience right now. But do we ask for self-control or have we relegated that to the last thing I need and look, I've struggled with it, I'm never going to get it, what's the point of asking anyway? And then some of us, I think, are also allergic to the words self-control. Why? Because we're allergic to the word control. We hear the word control, we think control bad, control bad, I don't want control and I don't want someone else controlling my life. And we don't want to hear self-control in our modern age. What do we want to hear? Self-fulfillment. Give me the fruit of self-fulfillment. It's got a perception problem. And lastly, even in the church. See, I think in the church, in Christian communities like ours, self-control's perception problem has been turned into the religious boogeyman of the Pharisees and the legalists. Oh, if you're going to talk about self-control, Pharisee, legalist... You want to talk about the law or something? You want to talk about, you know, actually like not doing some things and doing some other things? Well, we need to get the Pharisee meter out. And I think that we, we treat it like that when here's, here's my pitch to you today in this sermon. When you look at the Scriptures and you actually hear what Jesus says about self-control, it's something that will not bring more legalism to your life or law, it'll liberate you. It'll actually free you from slavery. And we first see that if we first recognise what the prize of self-control is. Recognise that prize. Um, In 1 Corinthians 9 that Meg just read from, as she started to read, you'll notice there, uh, Paul opens with an illustration. Let me read it. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 24, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? Now, the answer to that question is this. Yeah, we do know that, don't we? But only one receives the prize, so run as you may obtain it. Now, Paul starts illustration. The Bible is actually brimming with illustrations that connect us to what God is saying. And so, for many of us in the room or online who are sports fans, um, you might have a sporting team and you get this, you get the athlete illustration, but there's also many of us are not sporting fans. Many of us don't really have, and maybe for you, it's like the Lego movie says, go sports team! Even if you don't have a sport though, even if the closest thing you've got with sport is that you don't like sport, you're at least aware of the athlete. The Apostle Paul picks up what they saw in Corinth. They had the games come every two years to Corinth and they could see the athlete 
They're in town. The athletes are in town. We know what an athlete looks like. And for me, Russ, an athlete doesn't look like me. I happen to be the exact same age to the day as Tom Brady. He's 44 years old, born on the 3rd of August, 1977. I was too. I'm the exact same age as the world's greatest quarterback for the NFL. He's called the GOAT, which is not an offensive term, it means greatest of all time. Do you think I could be a quarterback too? If I'm the same age, no. You look at me, I'm not an athlete quarterback. I don't have that arm, I'm not Tom Brady. But I know what it looks like. And I know what, I can guess what it takes to get there. Paul picks an athlete and he says, look at an athlete. An athlete of all the people you could pick has to have self-control. If they don't, they lose. They lose in life. We need self-control because life has become for us, over the last two years, a whole series of weeks and months where everything is out of control. And I think our society has finally found that when we, before, in 2019 and all that happened before, we thought we could make plans and have a comfortable life, we found now we can't and we can't even pretend to be in control of life. We even pretend that things are going well for us and, and then it doesn't go well for us and what do we do? We, we lash out, react and we try and control other people's lives. But sadly... We can't even control our own tongues. We can't even control our own feelings. We can't even control our own attitudes. We can't control our reactions. Friends, have you not noticed we are struggling to manage, manage our own emotions, let alone control someone else, for them to do what we want? Our lives are out of control let alone the bigger and often secret things in our lives, like our habits and our addictions. The things that we would say, oh, I could give it up at any time. I could stop that. I choose not to for now. I need that little thing in my life, just helps me get through COVID, whatever that thing is. Paul here says, look at the athlete. In the old ancient Olympics era, the athlete runs, competes, and verse 24 receives the prize. And we understand what it takes to win, if you're an athlete or not. I mean, how has an athlete got to exercise self-control? Be that ancient Olympics or modern Olympics? Well, it's the same, isn't it? You've got to eat right. An athlete can't be eating whatever they want. They have to eat the right things. Um, They have to uh, live well, they can't be partying all the time, they've got to sleep and then they've got to wake up early and work hard all day. I used to plan a rugby team, just at a university level team, on a university campus, which was a small regional campus, there were two university rugby teams. There was our team, Ag Rugby, the agricultural school, Aggies, we were green and gold, and there was the other team, and they were all the rest of the, you know, pharmacists and teachers and whatnot. We just called them the, the chalks or the stinking chalks, that kind of thing. So, now, they wore red, we, we would say pink, but they wore red, we wore green. But if we walked onto the field, you could tell the difference between the two teams. Same age, but you know the difference? They were gym junkies. I don't say that in a derogatory way. They were actually just good at going to the gym. We were not. 
What was said of ag rugby was that we were a party team that had a rugby problem. And that meant we did not win the prize. Hardly ever actually won the prize, like a game. Paul says an athlete has to exercise self-control if they're going to win the prize. They have to be focused. And Paul says, so like the athlete, verses 26, 27, this is my life, he says, I do not run aimlessly. If the, if the, if the prize is there, that's where I run. I do not box as one beat in the air. And he would have seen the Olympics of the day, which often include boxing. But I discipline my body, I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And what Paul shows here in his illustrate of the athlete, the difference between the athlete and the Christian then. And here's, here's this difference that he writes into his illustration. He says, the athlete exercises self-control, I exercise self-control, we ought to exercise self-control. But notice this, verse 25, when Paul picks the athlete, he says, the athlete runs for a perishable wreath. In other words, and he writes, we run for something that is not perishable, but imperishable. So you've seen the, the Olympic ceremonies, perhaps, perhaps you've seen the, where they reenact the ancient Greek uh, ceremony for the Olympics, what do they, what do they receive? They, re- they receive a, a wreath of leaves, like Christmas time, you kind of know what that looks like. A wreath of leaves laid on the head, around the neck, it's a feature still in some sports. But leaf wreaths perish. You put them in the trophy cabinet, they turn to dust. But not the prize we look forward to. Friends, The last couple of years are a gift of grace from God to us. It's been hard. I wouldn't have asked for it. I wouldn't have prayed for COVID in the last two years. But here is the gift, I think. It has dismantled the framework of our best life now belief. It has dismantled the framework, the expectation that heaven is on earth, that I should expect life to be comfortable, get what I want... Everything goes my way and I'm in control. Actually, what we have seen is the world is littered with dusty reeds. Trophies that do not bring lasting glory. And Paul wants us to be secured by Christ, encouraging us to exercise self-control. For he knows, secondly, the danger of a lack of self-control. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters. Paul writes this not in a scolding tone. He doesn't write a letter saying, hey, a bunch of idiots, why don't you just do what I say? No, he's writing in such a way that he loves them. Brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be unaware. That our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about Israel coming out of Exodus. Now, what I find so incredible at this moment, who's he writing to? The Corinthian church. What's the Corinthian church full of? Gentiles, like you and me. And he says, hey, Gentiles, people from the nations, our fathers, our heritage is Israel. You are grafted in. They're your people. Remember how they came out of Egypt? God saved them out of slavery. And he says, I don't want you to be unaware of this. 
The Bible is human history writ large of fallen people that God comes to seek and save only for them, as we see in the following verses, only for them to ignore Him, rebel against Him, even after receiving grace from Him. God's people Israel were under slavery in Egypt. And you know the story. If you don't, go and read Exodus and then read books like Numbers and the relationship between God's people and Himself. He saves them out of slavery by grace. They pass through the sea on the race of their lives, escaping. God had already promised the prize. All they needed to do was receive His grace and exercise self-control to go His way and not any other way. And yet, and if you know the story, and yet, time after time, and we should learn from their example because we're just like them, time after time, their lack of self-control is their own undoing. See, we can assume self-control is something for antiquated people, for old-fashioned people, you know, for the Victorian era people, as if there was no sin in the Victorian era, as if they had it together because they just sang old hymns and they wore old clothes singing a certain song genre and wearing a certain clothing does not mean you're less sinful. It's like me painting my ute with a red cross and saying it's an ambulance now. It's the heart. It's not the externals. Today, self-control is only fashionable for those who want something desperately, it seems. So, we're happy to say, oh, the athlete needs self-control, but not me. It's wonderful for them, it's weird for the rest of us. We don't like the idea that someone else has authority. They tell us what to do. We especially recoil at the idea of not having a self-gratifying life, a self-fulfilling life. Friends, you've seen it. The new virtue in life is to be you. You do you. You do what you need to do to be you. That's the new virtue. And here's what God is showing us about Israel. It actually leads to slavery. You can see the problem of doing whatever you want. Firstly, it's confusing. It's utterly confounding. Because you actually never really get what you want, do you? Like, if you want to do what you want, if you want to, you know, I I, want to do this and do this, you'll actually never get what you want. You'll be internally divided, left dissatisfied, And rather than having self-control, determining what's most important, you'll just be a slave to whatever controls your life. I used to have a gym membership. I've got nothing against gyms. But here's what I noticed about me and gym memberships. It doesn't work just because you have the membership. I mean, here's a tip, Russ. You actually have to go to the gym. Another tip is, I happen to love eating Maccas, McDonald's. Uh, Going to the gym doesn't mean that I can eat whatever I want and all the Maccas in the world because that will also mean I can't just work off my heart and cholesterol, which, you know, I've got to watch. And then you can't have whatever you want. It doesn't work that way. You actually end up slavery to something. The wisdom of Proverbs is true today. Proverbs 25, 26 A person without self-control is a city broken into and left without walls. And God's intention is that He he loves us, He gives good gifts, and get this, self-control is a gift. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, 
For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and fill in the blank, self-control. God saves us from slavery to sin. He gives us grace, the ability by His Spirit to live a self-controlled life that we would not be enslaved to other things like Israel was so easily entangled and enslaved to. Just look at the narrative of Israel coming out of Egypt. Do you know what they say? It's not long they're out of Egypt. And this happens a couple of times. It's not long they're out of Egypt and then they start grumbling and complaining about their leadership, about Moses. They think they can run the show better. Ah, oh, Moses and Aaron. And then even Aaron and Miriam, Moses, like, you know, siblings, like, they start complaining about Moses and they reckon they're going to show better. But one of the complaints that they say is this, it's a common thing, they say, if only we had stayed back in Egypt, we had food to eat there. How quickly they forgot what they were saved from. If only they had stayed back in Egypt, you want to go back to what you're enslaved in? A worse slavery? And we do the same, friends. We go back to things we're saved from. It's like, imagine you're drowning off the coast this summer. And I I don't want to imagine that, right? That's something I do not want to think about. Please, go swimming safely. But imagine you get into some trouble. And I've been in trouble in a rip before and I know what it feels like. It's, it's frightening. It's disorienting. You could be in a rugby team and caught in a rip. And then imagine someone comes and rescues you, pulls you out of that. You could not rescue yourself, mind you. There's no way, yeah, I totally swam out of that myself, got a bit of help from the lifeguard, but it was really me. And actually, in the end, it was just me swimming and he was actually getting my help. We talk about our salvation like that sometimes, don't we? That synergism is called. No, no, we are saved by grace. There is nothing we can do to save ourselves. You get pulled out of that rip, you get dumped on the beach, and then what do you do? Thanks, I'm going back into that swim. I'm going back into that rip. Would you do that? We often do when it comes to our sin. And look at the the big things that cause Israel to stumble. Are they not our big things? Chapter 10, verse 7. They worship false gods. Now for them, we look at them worshipping false gods and we go, oh, that's so primitive. It's so similar. When when the golden calf event happens, the tragic slash comical part of that is Moses is up on the mountain. He comes down with the Ten Commandments. The whole place has turned to chaos. They've got a golden calf. And Aaron, of all people, is saying, this is the God. This the gods that got you out of, rescued you out of slavery in Egypt. And like, it's just, it has gone sideways and south in all sorts of ways. And Moses, if you read the narrative, Moses says, how did this happen? And who was the one who made the golden calf? It was Aaron. And what does Aaron say? I I don't know what happened. We just put the gold into a fire and melted it down and out popped this calf. Yeah, right. We do that all the time. I don't know how it came to be. I started living for this other thing in life. Why is it I'm living for this thing? I I don't know how it got to be there. It just just popped up on my screen and, and then I just kept going and it's not my fault. 
I don't know why it is I started living for, 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 for money or my career. I, just, I ended up just doing it and doing it and doing it. It's not my fault. It's the, it's the career, it's the boss that requires me to... Do you see? We live for other things. Verse 8. They flirted with sexual immorality. It's just a moment. It's just a Moabite woman. Not a big deal. Hey, it's a party. We all party. 23,000 dead. Verse 10, they grumbled and were destroyed. Who'd have thought grumbling was dangerous? We often think of it as cathartic. We think grumbling is, is just venting. It's just me needing to let off some steam. Let me grumble a bit and grumble about someone, never talk with them, but just grumble about them and do that and then I'll feel better. And the Lord says, destruction is not far from your door. Their lack of self-control is not a life of self-fulfillment, of doing whatever you want. It's being enslaved to things. And so... Here comes God with grace. Verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to men. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Slavery is, is, friends, I hope you can see this, slavery is life oppressed, suppressed. It is letting other things control you. If, if you just play with, flirt with, if you let lust in your life and let it just hang around, it will control you. Lust will be the Lord of your life. You might as well say, the Lord lust controls my life. If you let anger control you, you will be enslaved to it, which will lead to bitterness in your life. If you let addictions control you, you will hardly recognize your life. The warning of verse 12 is this, if you think you can handle things, if you say, I can handle this in my life, you are saying, I am okay with the consequences of falling. What are the things in your life that you play with secretly, that you wouldn't want the searchlight of God's Word to expose? Here's a diagnostic question. What is in your heart, on your lips, in your eyes, in your life, that you would not want to go on the screen right now? A little bit of lust, just a little bit of porn, something you play with in your thought life even. A little bit of grumbling just lets you just vent. Would you like that played on the screen? A little bit of pride where you secretly think, I could do it better because I am better. Do you want that on the screen? A little bit of gossip because you share, because people listen to you. Well, if you're sharing, why not share it on the screen? 
How could these things lead to falling? Imagine the moment when your secret search history is discovered. How would you fall? Your character falls down. Imagine the moment when people find out, instead of you talking with them, you actually gossiped about them. Your integrity falls down. Imagine when people see that you claim to always be right and everyone else is wrong and all of a sudden it was discovered that you can never admit wrong and it was all fake and pharisaical. Your reputation for humility falls down, it was just all hubris in the end. We must take heed, we must watch out lest we fall. But here's what we need to see, verse 13. We often assume, we start to believe, I can't be in self-control, I can't do it. We assume, I can't shake the habitual sin, I can't resist that temptation and we might as well be resigned to this, that's what we think. Then hear this friends, hear this, God is faithful. One, He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability and two, He provides a way of escape. This is the grace of God, the gift of self-control. When I first became a Christian, I went to these big conferences, big platforms and, and big speakers, you know, serious men. And what I noticed, and I'm not the only one that noticed, right, but what we've noticed in recent years is often when it came to self-control, the application was this, just stop it, just stop it, just stop it. The problem is, if you have a struggle with self-control, you already know, I can't. Like it might work to Wednesday, but beyond Wednesday it doesn't work. My willpower is not enough. I find myself tempted in all sorts of situations beyond my ability. And I see again and again, my ability is not high enough. Like the athlete, my natural ability has such a limit and I'll redline it. But God is faithful where I'm faithless. With Christ my Lord, the Spirit of Christ in my heart, I need to see this. He provides a way of escape. That is a gift of grace and I need to receive it. And all that's left for me is to receive that gift of an escape, that gift of escaping sin slavery, that grace-enabled power of self-control. Not just willpower, but grace-enabled power. Do you struggle with lust? God always provides an escape. It can be another person to encourage you, a church. It can be prayer, internet software that actually does help. Talk with me about it. Do you struggle with control over your idolatry? You want to live for other things other than God. Things become more important in your life. God provides a way of escape all the time. He provides this way of escape in His Word. Verse 11, these things happen as an example. It's written down for us. Do you struggle with grumbling? Do you struggle with managing your own emotions? God provides a way of escape all the time so that bitterness of your heart and the sour of our words coming out of our mouth don't have to control us. That gift, that way of escape is the Spirit. Receive Him by trusting in Jesus and experience the liberation of self-control. Friends, if you don't have self-control, something else is controlling you. You actually have a slave of something else in your life. Even an athlete can have this. 
See, an athlete can be fit, right? An athlete can go to the gym, they can get fit, they can do all the right things to their body, they can look great, and yet their soul can be sick. They can be unhealthy because of the surface level self-control actually hasn't been fruitful in their lives, it's just for their looks. Let me use me as an example. I could work on being the best preacher I could be. I could work on my speech and communication skills, my rhetorical skills. I could try and move you by my sheer oratory and pauses. I could practice in front of the mirror, which would be weird, but I could do that. And I could do it in such a way that you could say, wow, what a great sermon, what a good preacher, wow, that's amazing. Russ is amazing. I could do that and yet my soul could be sick my inner life could be falling apart. You see, self-control is ultimately submitting all of your life to Jesus' Lordship and letting Him be the person that controls your life. Why would you? Because of Hebrews 12. That cross-reference reading, we always have a cross-reference reading, it relates to the preached passage in Hebrews 12. And I, I feel like I've quoted Hebrews 12 verse 2 like about 12 or 2 times at least this year, many times, looking to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. So He founds our faith and He will complete it, who, for the joy that was set before Him, endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Get this, friends. Jesus ran the race where we couldn't go and He won. He went to the cross his body was beaten. He endured a boxing. He received a wreath that was actually made out of thorns. He went to the cross of wrath and judgment, for he was disqualified under condemnation, all for the joy set before him of who is the joy? You, you joining his team by his grace, because he won the race. When it comes to self-control, you've been given the Spirit and Christ Himself gave His life. Christ is for you. Let's pray. Our Father in Heaven, thank You that You've sent the Helper, Your Holy Spirit, to empower us for producing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. We are in need of Your supernatural help, for our own ability would fail and fall. We need this self-control and so we're asking, please produce this fruit in us. Help us to look to Jesus and by faith in Him be fruitful.